0: they say that once you are indicted in federal court the case is already over and while that isn't technically true they say that because the conviction rate in federal court is 98 so imagine sitting in jail for two and a half years awaiting trial knowing that statistic And this isn't prison, this is jail. So there are no amenities, there's no yard, there's no workout area, there's just the mess hall and a gathering room with some board games. And to make matters worse, we're in a pandemic. So you are masked and confined to your cell for most of the day, every day. And then in December of 2021, your day comes. It's time for the jury trial. Your opponent is the United States of America and you are facing two Class A felonies, the most serious felonies that exist. And if you're convicted, you face 15 years to life on each count. That's the potential for two life sentences. This is a true story of a client of mine. His name is Randy Buchanan, and you're going to meet him in today's episode so we go to trial the case is heard the jury deliberates and then informs the judge that they have reached a verdict so we're standing there myself my client randy and it's his birthday his 50th birthday very poetic so the four person stands up and they read the verdict what was the result well you're about to find out in today's episode I'm Joshua Roberts attorney at law and you are watching lawyer up in today's episode. I'm going to talk about my most recent jury trial in federal court. The case was the United States of America versus Randy Buchanan. We're going to talk about the facts of the case. We're gonna talk about the crimes that he was charged with. We're gonna talk about the conspiracy to distribute controlled substances laws. We're gonna look at the enormous breadth of the statute which makes it virtually impossible for a defendant to overcome. We're gonna talk about our trial strategy, the witness testimony, the cross-examination, and then we're gonna talk about how we did it, how we beat the feds in a jury trial. If you enjoy the episode, smash that like button for me. If you got something to say, put it in the comment sections below. If you haven't subscribed to the channel, what are you waiting for? Hit that subscribe button and that noty bell so that you are notified every time we upload and recall that our episodes are available on the major podcast outlets. So let's start with federal court in general. As I mentioned, they say that once you are indicted, the case is already over because the conviction rate is 98%. And of those convicted, 90% of those will do some amount of prison time in the Bureau of Prisons. And the conviction rate is so high for a couple of reasons. Number one, the law enforcement is excellent. This isn't your local city cops. And no offense if you're a local city cop watching this video. But in federal court, you're dealing with the FBI, the ATF, ICE, DEA. These are federal agents. They are highly trained, and they have unlimited resources. And usually, by the time I get involved in a case, they already have several controlled buys with my clients that are audio and video recorded. So you're starting off usually well behind the eight ball. And Number two, the prosecutors are also excellent. They are highly trained career prosecutors with several years of experience. I have never crossed paths in my 25 years with an attorney for the United States that wasn't an extremely good lawyer. And again, they have unlimited resources. So usually when you get to federal court and you're a criminal defendant, you are dead meat. But not always so personally i handle mostly drug cases although i have some white collar fraud cases and currently have a kidnapping torture and murder case where the defendant is facing the death penalty but normally i deal with drug cases and with federal drug cases they are multi-defendant cases where everybody gets charged with being in one big conspiracy to distribute the drug or drugs at issue Later in this video, I will read to you the conspiracy jury instruction that explains the law to the jury. It is broad and it is encompassing. It's as broad as any federal law in any area and you think I'm exaggerating, but when I read it to you, it will blow your mind. So the U.S. Sentencing Commission prepares an annual report from all of the federal courts that details the types of cases that it hears. Nationally, the largest area of federal cases are immigration cases. That's 41 percent, with drugs and guns next in line at 26 percent, and 12% respectively. However, that is not the case in the 8th Circuit where I practice. In the 8th Circuit, the largest area of federal cases are drugs, 35%, and guns, 26%, with immigration cases making up a measly 9%. So in my circuit, that's over 60% of the cases that involve drugs, guns, or both. Within the category of drugs, nationally, meth makes up 46% of those cases, with cocaine at 17%. But not in my circuit. Meth makes up two-thirds of all drug cases, so that's mostly what I see. Although heroin is making a heck of a comeback in the African-American community. So the case that I am talking about today in this video is a conspiracy to distribute meth case in the Eighth Circuit as i noted they have a 98 percent conviction rate they never lose but this time they did so let's talk about the case now i represented the defendant randy buchanan in a case in federal court in missouri he was charged with intentionally conspiring to distribute methamphetamine and attempting to possess methamphetamine with the intent to distribute it and the first question when i read the charges is how do you attempt to possess something. Well, you have meth mailed to you from Arizona and the feds intercept it at the post office. So that's essentially what they are alleging that my client and his cohorts were doing in this case. Now, it is of crucial importance that Randy Buchanan was not charged with possession of meth, simply having it. Because the feds, they don't care about users. They want dealers who distribute it. And this is important because the evidence at trial was clear that he used meth. In fact, we admitted that up front in opening statement. I told the jury he is no angel. During the time frame of this case, he did smoke meth. But that's not what he was charged with. He was charged with conspiring to distribute it. Our position was that he is a user, not a dealer. He just had the unfortunate look of getting mixed up with a girl who was, and her name for the purposes of this video is Carrie Miller. Now note, this is a true story, but the names have been changed to protect the identity of people who are not my client. Now, this is public information, so technically, I don't have to change names, but out of respect for their privacy, I have gone ahead and done so. So, the facts of this case begin in 2015. Carrie Miller lived in Yuma, Arizona, and from 2015 to 2017, she was basically a drug mule. By her own admission, she smuggled drugs on her person, almost daily across the border from a city called san luis rio colorado mexico back to yuma arizona where she would then sell it in october of 2017 she found herself in springfield missouri where she has family her grandma and even though she was now hundreds of miles from the Mexican border, she continued in the business of selling methamphetamine by receiving dope in the mail from her supplier. This continued from October of 2017 until October of 2018 when postal inspectors and law enforcement officers busted her at grandma's house with a package containing two pounds of meth that was being mailed to her from the state of Arizona. This was October 4 of 2018, which was important for an entirely different reason, because it was Randy Buchanan and Carrie Miller's first date. So my client, Randy Buchanan, was actually there at Grandma's house when the cops show up. Needless to say, Randy was surprised when, hey, on a date, at Grandma's house, the feds come walking through the door. And to make matters worse, he and Carrie had just been smoking meth in Grandma's garage. So he was busted. He was caught red-handed. Drug task force officers would handcuff Mr. Buchanan. And, you know, at the time, he's pretty sure he's going to jail. But after about 15 minutes, they cut him loose, and they tell him to leave. No ticket, no charges, no trip to jail, just leave. So he bolts. Now, Carrie Miller, she was not so lucky. She was booked. She was taken down to the station where she then freely admitted the details of her ongoing drug operation. And in connection therewith, Carrie agrees in order to help herself out with her criminal case to cooperate and work with drug task force officers to catch other individuals who are participating in the distribution of meth. So that's what happens over the course of the next several months. She cooperates with the feds. During that time, Randy and Carrie's relationships develops to where they are living together. Randy is aware that she is working with law enforcement. At times, Randy would actually have to drive her to meetings with officers. He would drive her and drop her off. They would meet. Later, she would call him and he would go pick her up. And he did this on several occasions. Now, the specifics of what they were doing, what she was selling, to whom and when, he had no idea. It was explained to him that while she was working with law enforcement, that she would not be able to share those details, so he didn't ask. Now, they were living together, so he picked up on bits and pieces of what was going on. But as far as he knew, everything she was doing was in conjunction with law enforcement. Well, as it turned out, it wasn't. Even though she was working with the feds, she was also still getting pounds of meth from Arizona in the mail. Ten such packages, each containing around two pounds of meth, had been sent during the past year. So, let's fast forward to March of 2019. Law enforcement figures out that Miller is still getting these packages of meth in the mail behind their backs. So, she is busted. And again, she goes into the station and sings like a canary, telling law enforcement everything she had been doing over the past five months or so. And in her confession, law enforcement asks, say, hey, you got any more packages on the way? And she says, yeah, I got one headed to my uncle's house right now. And interestingly, instead of putting her name on the package, she used Randy Buchanan's name. Sneaky, sneaky. So at this point, she's arrested and she's being held in jail. Two days later, this package arrives in Springfield, Missouri. Law enforcement intercepts it and then hand delivers it to her uncle's house. They confront him with it and he admits that he was involved with her in peddling drugs that they were receiving from Arizona. He also, at that time, agrees to cooperate with the feds, right then and there. And their first question is, hey, Who is Randy Buchanan, the guy's name that was on the package? And he says, oh, yeah, that's Carrie's boyfriend. So while the feds are there at the uncle's house, they have him send a text message and make a phone call to Randy Buchanan telling him, quote, the package had arrived and to come pick it up. The text message and the phone call were recorded by law enforcement and, of course, played for the jury at trial. And interestingly, while the messages clearly were talking about a package, they did not contain any mention that that package had any drugs in it at all. And it was not uncommon for Randy and Carrie to send packages to her uncle's house. They lived in an apartment complex and had packages stolen before, so they had just sent stuff to her uncles. So when my client gets a text and a call to pick up a package, that really wasn't out of the ordinary. Randy just thought it was something that Carrie had ordered off of the internet, not drugs. So Randy says in response, well, I'll be up there later. And so law enforcement, they're just waiting for Randy Buchanan to show up to get the meth package. And they wait and they wait, but Randy doesn't show up. So finally, law enforcement gets tired and they leave taking the meth with them. So Randy Buchanan never possesses it. Now, eventually Randy does show up, but of course the package is gone And the uncle tells him it was stolen off of his porch. So my client's pissed, right? Somebody stole another one of my packages. So the next day, there's a phone call between my client, Randy Buchanan, and Carrie. And remember, she's in jail, so this call is recorded. The government also played it for the jury, of course. And they're talking about this package. Again, they are talking about a package. There's no mention of drugs. Now, Carrie, of course, she knows that package has meth in it. And her uncle knows that package has meth in it. And law enforcement knows that package has meth in it. But Randy Buchanan has no idea that package is full of meth. But guess who doesn't believe his story? The feds. So in April of 2019, Randy Buchanan is interviewed by law enforcement. He fully cooperated with them. During the interview, he told the officers everything he knew about Kerry's situation over the past year, which really wasn't much. And he really wasn't all that worried because he wasn't involved other than he smoked some of the meth. He possessed it, but he never distributed it. So after the interview, he walks out of there and went about his life. That was until the day he was arrested and charged with conspiracy to distribute meth. So let's talk about conspiracy law for just a second. It is exactly what it sounds like. You made plans with somebody else to distribute drugs, but it's very encompassing. The law is complicated, so with a jury trial, the court will summarize the law in a simple jury instruction so that the jury can apply it to the facts of the case. So I'm going to read to you the exact jury instruction from the case so you can appreciate how broad this conspiracy law actually is and because i am an old man i have to put on my reading glasses to be able to read it but this is what the jury instruction says if you determine that an agreement existed and the defendant joined the agreement then acts and statements knowingly done or made by any member of the agreement may be considered by you as evidence pertaining to the defendant even though the acts and statements were done or made in the absence of and without the knowledge of the defendant. So let's stop right now and talk about that. Once you are in a group conspiring to distribute controlled substances, you are responsible for all acts and statements made by any member of the group, whether you knew about it or not. That's crazy. Something can happen somewhere else. You're not there. You don't know anything about it, but you can be held responsible for it. But the jury instruction goes on from there. Next, it says, this includes acts done or statements made before the defendant joined the agreement because a person who knowingly joins an existing conspiracy becomes responsible for all of the conduct of the co-conspirators from the beginning of the conspiracy. Now, that's crazy as well. So a group may have been peddling drugs for two years before you ever got involved. But if you make one sale, you become responsible for all of the sales that any member of the conspiracy ever made. So this is a wicked, broad area of law, and it's almost impossible for a defendant to overcome because they're responsible for everything that everybody ever did. So after he is charged, I was appointed My client was denied bond and placed in jail, where he sat and waited for two and a half years for his day in court. Now, they were normal delays, but also COVID delays, which cost him significant time to have his right to a trial. But finally, in December of 2021, we had our day in court. The main evidence at trial was two federal officers who stated that during that interview, that randy buchanan had confessed to being part of the conspiracy a confession which interestingly they didn't memorialize in any way except in their police reports and a confession that my client totally denied making now the uncle would testify at trial that randy was part of the scheme with he and carrie and he said he was in it all along so the entire case consisted of the three witnesses two cops who said Randy confessed, and the uncle who agreed to cooperate with the feds to testify against my client. Now, Carrie, she would plead guilty and she just took her 10-year sentence and ultimately decided not to testify and not to participate in the trial. Now, in addition, of course, the jury saw all of the text messages between the parties and heard all of the recorded phone calls. So the attorneys for the United States were pretty sure this was a slam dunk case. In discussing the case before trial, I told them that my client says that he did not confess, and they responded that, well, the jury is going to have to believe my client over the word of two officers in a case where my client wasn't even going to testify. And they figured that task was impossible, and frankly, I did too. So we had previously decided that Randy Buchanan would not testify. In a criminal case, a defendant of course has the right to remain silent. But if he chooses to testify, his criminal past then becomes relevant to impeach his character as a witness. If you don't testify, then character evidence isn't relevant, so no prior criminal record comes into evidence. My client had two prior felonies, so if he testified, the jury would hear all about them but the jury never heard about them because he didn't testify, right? So nobody on the jury knew that Randy Buchanan was a convicted felon. So the uncle testified that my client was involved in their drug ring. But on cross-examination, I pointed out that he was a convicted felon, which I could do because he testified. And I pointed out that his testimony was actually required as part of his plea agreement with the government to get a lighter sentence. He admitted that if he didn't testify, he would be facing 10 to life. But if he did testify and the government liked his testimony, he would actually get less time than the mandatory minimum sentence. Then I got him to admit that he had met with the prosecutors prior to trial to go over his testimony. I painted the whole thing as kind of fishy to the jury and told them, hey, this guy cannot be trusted. Now, that was the easy part, dealing with the convicted felon. Dealing with the officers was quite a bit more difficult. So here's how that cross-examination went down. I went through each portion of the confession and disputed whether Randy had told them what he had learned about Carrie's dealings versus whether he had actually participated in those activities. And I maintained that he had told them what he had learned about her situation, not that he was involved. Well, they, of course, disagreed with me. So then I said, well, yeah, we seem to have a disagreement on whether he stated he was involved or whether he just stated he knew about the acts. So I said, well, that's pretty easy to resolve. You know, you videotaped the interview, correct? And they said, well, no. I'm like, well, surely you audio recorded it, right? And they said, no. I said, Well, why not? So both law enforcement testified that it's office policy not to record the conversation if the defendant doesn't want it recorded. So my eyebrows raised and I said, so you're letting the defendant dictate how you do your police work? Which I'm sure the jury thought quite odd. So I said, well, nevertheless, surely you had him write out his confession in his own words and sign it. Nope, they didn't do that either. And I was like, wow. So at this point, the whole confession seems pretty sketchy. So everybody rests and we get to closing argument and I have the decision to make because it appears on the surface that somebody's lying, except that here's the problem. These cops, um, law enforcement, They didn't seem like they were lying on the stand they seemed very honest and i knew one of them personally had known him for a long time and he is not a liar he will shoot you straight whether it's for the benefit of the government or not so i'm thinking if i make the jury pick between the cops and my client as to who is telling the truth i'm going to lose that battle so when I get to closing argument, I told the jury, you know, you saw no audio confession, you saw no video confession, there's no written confession, there's nothing. So I told them, I'm not, I am not saying that the officers are lying, but I am saying there is a misunderstanding. They thought he was saying he was involved. Randy Buchanan was actually telling what he had learned about Kerry's involvement. And because of that misunderstanding, The exact question that was asked by law enforcement is crucial to know. The exact wording of the answer is absolutely essential. Was a person joking? Were they exaggerating? What words were used? What words were emphasized? To have a true confession, to get to proof beyond a reasonable doubt, you have to know exactly what was said. And we didn't have that, and so there was no confession. I also pointed out to the jury that if he had actually just confessed to a Class A felony, why didn't they arrest him right then and there? They didn't. He walked right out of the place. Why? No confession. Then I went all America on the jury. I said, hey, this is still America. You have to have proof beyond a reasonable doubt to find him guilty. And this is still Missouri, the show me state. You got to show me the evidence and the government had failed to do so after that the jury deliberated for about six hours over two days and ultimately came back with a verdict not guilty on all counts and so that was a pretty big deal down here in southwest missouri hey when the feds win 98 percent of the time a loss makes the news so i ran over the last part of that the jury coming in and reading the verdict pretty quick and i did that because We're going to let Randy Buchanan himself tell you all about what it was like to experience that right there in front of the jury. All right, Lawyer of Nation, I told you we were going to talk to Randy Buchanan. We have him here today. You guys already know about the facts of the case. You know about the law of the case. But what you don't know about is what was going on in Randy's head, what was going on in his heart uh, when he was going through this process, when he was sitting in the jail. So we're going to talk to him a little bit, and he's going to share with us uh, how he felt during this process so first thing randy just tell us a little bit about yourself
1: where you're from from springfield missouri and my mom moved us to wyoming when i was four years old i've been in wyoming the rest of my life and come back visit my dad and stuff when i was growing up and stuff and little things like that but mainly i'm born in springfield raised in wyoming
0: Gotcha. What brought you back to Springfield uh, there uh, in 2000? Was it
1: 18, 17? It was 17, September of 17. Um, what happened was, got in a little trouble in Wyoming, ended up in prison up there. I did my time up there and was got out. And I felt that I'd still be in the same situation when I was up there with my wife and things she had going on. And so I uh, wanted to come down here. My mom was down here at the time and. I moved down here. Just wanted to start a company, and for a couple years, and sell it off, and you know, and then buy me a little houseboat, move down to the Gulf, and do tattoos for the rest of my life. That sounds (laughs) pretty
0: awesome. So basically, you're back to Springfield for a fresh start. Yeah. You meet a girl.
1: Yeah, I was here for about. Well, I was here a day, got a job, and I was here for about six months, and was kind of bored. I ended up getting on Tinder and. Ended up meeting somebody on Tinder. I hit it off with pretty good.
0: All right. And we've already told uh, uh, the viewers that uh, your first date, you're at her grandma's house. Yeah. And you guys are partying a little bit, smoking a little meth. Yeah. And the feds walk in. Yeah. They, so, yeah.
1: Tell us about that. Well, we were sitting in the garage just bullshitting, and the mail truck pulls up. She says, Oh, i got mail's here. And they got out with a package, and she says, oh, i got to go sign for this package. So she walked out there, and next thing I know, another truck pulls up, has some DEA agents in it, and they handcuffed her, and then they asked who I was. And I told them they handcuffed me, asked how I knew. I told them we had just met, and they was like, well, they ran my name and everything. They never heard of me, and they asked me what I was doing there, and I told them just there just meeting her and you know just smoking and he's like well we don't know who you are and they know you don't have nothing to do with this we're gonna take the cuffs off you but you need to just go home you need to leave now
0: yeah that's pretty sweet though you got to leave
1: yeah so that was nice well I asked him about of course I was like well what's going on here? And they said you can call her in a couple hours she's gonna come talk to us and like okay, I've never heard of that, but you know, but you got um, to go. Yeah, I walked, right. but my truck was sitting in the driveway in, in front of the the mail truck and their truck, so I just took the dog, took off walking around the block. You just bolted, <laughs> and I've been, you know, I've been, you know, I I didn't know anybody there, but there was a black guy on the other side of the block, you know, around the way, because it was just like a big circle area. And so I started talking to him about his music he had going on. So I wasted a little while while the feds were there at her grandma's house and talking to her, and then they ended up taking her. So I let, went back to the house, grabbed my truck, and left. Gotcha. Well, I know after that we've talked
0: about you sat down <coughs> and visited with them, told them basically what you knew about her activities, um, but that you were not involved, uh, and you weren't too worried about it. And then you get arrested. You get put into jail where you sat for two and a half years, more than two and a half years awaiting your day in trial. And you told me from day one, you were innocent. You didn't, you're not a dealer. You didn't do those types of things. Um, I told you on more than one occasion, we can't win. You're, You're indicted in federal court. They always win. You should take the plea offer, but you didn't. You stuck to your guns. Why is that?
1: Well (laughs) like I like I said before to the viewers now, everybody knows when you do something wrong, you you pay your price. You get your whooping, you take your take your medicine, do something bad and with the state or whatever, you know. I confess up, I don't tell nobody, whatever, I go do my time. But when I don't do nothing wrong, I'm not gonna sit there and say I did something wrong just because Everybody, it looks like I did something wrong. You know what I mean? I just didn't do nothing wrong, and I knew it. I mean,
0: right? You're not going to plead guilty, no, if you're not guilty, right? Absolutely not. But you just said that if you if you do something wrong, you'll take responsibility for it. But you're not going to just take a plea, no matter what the odds are, if you're not guilty, right? Is that fair? And you stuck to your guns, and you continued on to trial. And let's move to that trial. The government gives their opening statement in the beginning of that case. Before I get to say anything, they give their opening statement. What are you thinking right then in that moment? Are you thinking, man, I should have taken the plea, or are you okay?
1: Um, No, I never, never once did I ever think I, that I should take a plea. But when he was talking, by the time he was done talking, I was like, man, he, I'm, I'm, that's a, that's a guilty <laughs> I'm like, man. That makes me look bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I was yeah, like, yeah. Did, does that is that really me? Or, I mean, uh, I mean, I could see the way he looked at that picture, but it wasn't the same. It's like there's a camera here showing a, showing a video, and there's a camera here showing a video, and he's not seeing the same. You know what I mean? Right, right. It's, it's not the same show. It's the same story, but not the same show. Right. You he has I mean? a
0: totally different perspective on yeah. what actually was going on. Yeah. And uh, he never talked to you. He didn't know what's going on in your head. You knew reality. You knew how involved you were, correct?
1: Yeah. yeah. And what it is is they know exactly what happened with... I mean, uh, anyways, you know how... They know everything that happened with them, but they didn't even know who I was. They didn't even know my name until... Yeah, you were not on their yeah, radar. Yeah. I, right. I, well, I, well, radar or not, I didn't. I didn't know anybody unless I worked with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I worked, busted my ass, and I came home. I met a couple people that I knew in, you know, in our first relationship, but there was just, like, girlfriends of hers. You know right. what I mean? So I, and then meeting their girlfriends – I ended up meeting their boyfriends, you know, so. Right, so that's so, how you, you're friends. And, and that's how I even really knew anybody is is if, uh, you know, I'd be like, who are you talking to when they come to town? She's always talking to somebody. Well, so-so's going to come over for dinner or whatever. Okay, you know what I mean? Right. But she only come to town like once once a week or so, you know, once every two weeks. Gotcha. You know, so I so, didn't really know anybody. <laughs>
0: gotcha. Uh, so then, I give my opening statement on your behalf. What are you thinking after that? I was like,
1: yes. <laughs> I was like, yes. You, would. I mean, you did exactly what you said you were going to do. You know, you're going to you're going to get out there and battle, and you did. Well, I appreciate. I that. mean, I mean, when when he said something, I thought I was guilty. When 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 you got up and talked, I was like, yeah, that's right. So that's you, the real story. You know what yeah. I mean?
0: So you felt like we were even in even in the the scales there a bit, whenever I would talk, I'd get you right back in the game. Is that the way you felt about it? Did you feel like we were ahead?
1: I I think the prosecutor just sat down and said, the case dismissed. (laughs) That's what I think, because I think you were just way way out of your level, way out of his level, you know what I mean? Wow,
0: good. That's a compliment. I appreciate that. So evidence starts. They got testimony. We've got the feds testifying they're playing recorded conversations, they're showing text messages that were sent. What are you thinking then?
1: Well, right off the beginning, the evidence they were showing, they, it was all evidence of hers. Everything was hers. I mean, and so, and that's just the evidence. Then they have, what, that thick of a folder of text messages, and they pulled out three text messages out of 2,000, you know? I mean that's just dumb stuff. I didn't even have to really think about that none of that even pertained to me. what aggravated me is is when the people got on the stand the way they were lying I mean I I don't even want to say they were lying. it was it was like putting on a play. I don't know I don't know if you remember when I re- reached over after the second guy, the uh, postal guy I was like. They said exactly the same thing same answers for everything i mean does it sound like they got together and you're like it's a script <laughs> they yeah, do I mean, it it's they, like it's like a play and they come in here but I, I just couldn't believe i mean how they can i just don't understand why they try to find somebody guilty when they're not guilty and if i mean i watch tv i know not not everything is like on tv but I mean, you watch the cop shows on TV. They wouldn't even look at you unless they had evidence. They had no evidence on me at all. Yeah, I mean, at the
0: federal level, and I told you this before, their witnesses are well-rehearsed. They are professional. Part of their training is how to testify in court and that they will make good witnesses. Now, the stuff that they said you knew wasn't true. I knew. Jury didn't know that, which makes it scary uh, when they're saying those types of things about you. And then you have uh, the uncle... uh says you know things about it says you're involved what did you think the jury was going to do with
1: that i wish i could just tell you know or whatever it is called with the jury's let you know how much he's lying or how i wish you could just look into somebody and see and i think they did
0: well i cross-examined him pretty good oh yeah and uh kind of let him know that they couldn't really believe Anything that he had to say, and you're, we were a little bit handicapped because you couldn't testify. Now you could have testified, right. but then they would have found out about your priors. Right. And I've talked to the lawyer up nation about why we chose not to testify. I still think we made the right decision there. Yes, uh, but it does make you a little bit uh, frustrated because you can't tell express my, to the jury. Yeah, tell my side of the story. That's exactly right. So we get to closing arguments. The government goes first, makes their argument, um, then I argue and then that you know we're done what are you thinking when the close of evidence closing arguments have been made what are you thinking right then
1: well when he made his closing argument i thought i was guilty <laughs> 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 you know i mean yeah, yeah, I, hear you. <laughs> Man, uh, I mean the he way, painted a picture the way they look, yeah. they portray things and the way they put things out there it makes makes me want to tell everybody in the world you know Play close attention. I mean, because everybody, there's a lot of people in prison that shouldn't be in prison. You know what I mean? And it just goes to show if they would have believed him just by instead of going through the evidence and breaking everything down and doing everything the right the way the jury did it and the way you presented your closing argument and counteracted and showed, uh, I don't even know if it showed, but just what you said proved to me that you were paying attention to me and that you believed in me. After the two years, you know, know, as you're saying, I mean, even to the day before trial, you're telling me not, we need to take this case. We need to take this plea. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and I told
0: you, it wasn't that I I didn't believe you because I always did believe you. However, I also told you that this is not a fair fight we are not going in with a 50 50 chance of winning right and maybe you should consider at least consider uh, taking the plea but like you said before i'm not pleading guilty to something that i didn't do it takes a lot of backbone i mean it takes a lot of nerve to do that and you're to be definitely commended for that so the jury goes out and we're waiting we're sitting around there and that's got to be a little unnerving got to be yeah. A little nervous during well, that
1: time period well if you remember I I went downstairs for a little while yeah and then they called us back up because the jury had a question yeah that's right and I was like oh <laughs> that didn't take them long to deliberate <laughs> so they came up and said oh they just have a question I was like oh so we figured out that what the answer to them was and then I went back downstairs for a little while and then uh you guys said they're deadlocked or whatever and they got sent home so we came back the next day and then they were there right away uh, yeah like, they
0: came up with a, uh, a, verdict. a verdict pretty quick and yeah. so then they you hear the jury has reached a decision right. they're bringing you up to the courtroom and you're facing you know you're facing two potential life sentences minimum of 15 years on each count yes, sir. so you nervous
1: Scared to death.
0: Yeah, scared <laughs> to know? death
1: is the best way to put it, man. That's, yeah, I'm that's scary. Scared to death, but you know, I just—I mean, I've—I've I've grown up class Catholic, but I haven't went to church in a long time. I don't—I've seen too much stuff. Things happen too much. I don't really even believe if there's somebody out there looking over us because why? You know, I'm not gonna go into that, but I'm like, but I have faith in people. You know what I mean? I had faith in you the whole time. There was a few times I was like, "Man, should I get rid of this guy?" <laughs> He's telling me, we, "You know, we don't have stand a chance." But, right, right. But, but I'm glad that I stuck with you, and I'm glad I we made the choice. And, whew, When they when they said you know, when they said about the verdict, you remember what happened when they? Oh yeah. Said for the first count.
0: Yeah, well, so they say, you know, you got two counts. Yeah. They say not guilty on one count, which is great, but that doesn't mean anything if well, you have another count.
1: Ex- exactly, and when they were... The, the jury's question was about the attempted at possession. Okay? Yep. I have a conspiracy. Nobody beats conspiracies. You're right. Because, like they said, like you told me, they said, as soon as I entered a relationship with her from Tinder that i entered the conspiracy with her that's bullshit it is you're right but anyway sorry about the language but <laughs> but when they were asking me a question about the attempted possession i thought well the whole time i'm thinking before they got del- while they're delivering i'm like they'll find me not guilty on the attempted possession which was a crap charge anyway because that was a plea deal that I wouldn't take their plea, remember? Yeah, oh yeah. And then three months later, they came and charged me with it. That's exactly right. After two years. Yeah. Um, I figured that they would find me not guilty on that, and still find me guilty, and I would still get anywhere from 15 to life.
0: So in that moment, you're happy, but there's no reason to be really all that happy, because well, there's another one to come.
1: Yeah, I wasn't that happy at all. Gotcha. You know, because it didn't matter if they dropped that. I knew that had nothing to do with me anyway. That's just something they threw in there, right, to scare me into taking a plea deal. Either way, I'm still getting 15 to life, which, as you know, I don't know if anybody else knows, but it was—it's a 10 to life sentence, and they enhanced my sentence five years because I didn't take their deal. Yeah, which was for a charge I just got out of prison and did five years for it. You know, yeah, so, yeah. So I don't understand how they. I've thought that would be like, give me another five years on top of five years. I just did I already killed my number time time for, but it's something they do. I guess they. Yeah, get it's, away it's with it.
0: an attempt to bully you into pleading. They're enhancing your mandatory minimum because you had a prior felony, and we talked about that. We didn't go into what it was, and it doesn't matter because you got the prior felony so they could enhance your sentence. And they didn't do that until the end when we decided to go to trial, right? Right. Trying to bully you into taking the plea, which is what you get from prosecutors a lot. But then the second not guilty comes down.
1: Well, let's go back to the very first one. All right, let's go back. Because the first count was conspiracy. The second was attempted possession. When they said the... uh, for the count of conspiracy, not guilty. I, you see me. I just, I started crying right there, because I knew, if they would have did the attempt of possession and said not guilty first, I would have still, butthole pucker. You know. What right, I mean? right. But they went with the conspiracy first, and when they said not guilty on the conspiracy, I knew it was going to be not guilty on the other one. So you knew. I knew. That's why. That's why. As soon as they said the the count of conspiracy, not guilty. I started crying because if they they found me not guilty on that, there's no way they could have found me guilty on the other
0: one, anyways. And they uh, and they didn't. And yeah, there were tears and hugs and and yeah, ain't nobody celebrating in that courtroom except you and me.
1: Well, no, because I don't know if you've seen me, but I pulled my mask off. Remember, we were supposed to wear a mask in the courtroom? Oh, yeah. I pulled my mask off, and I said, thank you. And the jury pulled their masks out and said, you're welcome. Oh. You didn't see that? No, yeah, no. I think jury, like half of them were crying, too. Wow. Yeah. No, I mean,
0: I did talk to some of them as I was leaving the courtroom that day, and they both said, hey, you did a really good job. I said, hey, thanks, man. I'm just doing yeah. what I'm paid to do. But uh, yeah. they were... Uh, uh, it didn't take them that long and that's a unanimous verdict all 12 of them agreed you were not guilty That's just not just one person saying that that's all of them. So yes, you were not guilty. Yes, that's sir. exactly right What you told me from day one. Yes, sir And I think the probably the most poetic thing of the whole deal is we're standing there We're finding out whether you're gonna be found guilty of two offenses for which you were facing a life sentence and it's your birthday and not That's just any birthday. birthday, it's your 50th birthday. 50th birthday. That is, there's nothing more poetic than being found not guilty and given um, your freedom on birthday 50. On my birthday 50. Unbelievable. Well, it's a fantastic story. I appreciate you sitting down and talking with us. Is there anything else you'd like to
1: add? I just You're a great lawyer.
0: Thanks, buddy. I appreciate I, I, that.
1: I suggest everybody call you from around the world. All right, man. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for defending me. You're welcome.
0: Have a great day. So we're back in the studio. I wanna thank Randy Buchanan for being willing to answer those questions so that Law You're Up Nation can experience what it would be like to be right there facing a life sentence in front of a jury. So after we beat the feds, I got a lot of emails and phone calls with congratulations and good job from really all over the Midwest United States. But probably the uh, most touching comment or statement that I received was from an inmate of mine, another client of mine that was still in the Greene County Jail here locally in Springfield. We got done with our meeting and this was right after the first of the year. And as he was walking off, big old guy, he turned around to me and he said, you know what you did? And I was, "I I don't know, what did I do? And he said, when you won, you gave this whole building hope. You gave us hope right before Christmas. And he just turned and walked off. And I thought that was pretty neat because yeah most of those guys in there you know they did something wrong and they deserve to be punished in some capacity but everybody everybody deserves some hope so the fact that we beat the feds gave those guys some hope and I think that's a great thing so that's the episode I hope you enjoyed it if you did hit that like button for me if you got something to say put it in the comment sections below if you haven't subscribed to the channel Hit that button now so that you can stay up to speed with all of the current legal topics that are happening throughout the United States. And remember, guys, I love it when you share me on social media. Thanks for watching. My name is Joshua Roberts, attorney at law, and you've been watching Lawyer Up. Send lawyers, guns, and money.